This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. You know, the more real you are and the more self-aware and authentic you are, actually the more currency you have as a leader. Like you're, the old days, that was not necessarily true because people would tr- sort of try to hide things they weren't great at or they, they would push things behind the curtain. Or, and, and, you know, I've heard Pat Lencioni say this so many times, you know, the never let them see you sweat. That used to be the phrase yeah. as a leader. Now no it's, doubt. oh, wait, check out these pit stains I got, man. Look at that. That's amazing, right? <laughs> Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Brad Lominick. Now, both my partner, John Ramsett, and I have heard from a number of you saying, you need to get Brad on. We heard from so many of you that we listened. For those of you not familiar with Brad, he's a published author, blogger, speaker, and consultant. I wasn't able to be a part of this one, so here's how John got that conversation started on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Brad Lomanick. Brad, welcome to the podcast. John, great to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Now, people out there uh, might not be familiar with Brad's name, but I'm sure they're familiar with Catalyst, and you were the president of Catalyst for many years. Uh, you've also worked with John Maxwell, and we were just sharing before we started here that, that that John was my pastor way back in San Diego in the 90s before he uh, really kind of stepped onto the world stage, and he's the one that baptized my wife and I, so that's kind of a, a neat intersection there. Yeah, absolutely. And now you've written a number of books. Today, I mean, you're very uh, well-known and just doing great work in leadership development and coaching and working with people. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today, uh, well, Brad. Thanks. So you know what I'd like to do uh, to start is just so people can get to know you a little bit. Why don't you just share kind of your background and your journey so far? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an Oklahoma boy. I grew up just outside of Tulsa and grew up uh, sort of on a farm, uh, the son of a football coach, played football growing up, was, was a sports nut and Excelled in school, small town of 5,000, you know, when you're, when you're in a small town uh, and especially the son of a football coach at a very prominent high school known for football in the state of Oklahoma, you either, you either go, uh, you either go, you know, you, you skyrocket or you, you potentially sort of go into the shadows. And, well, and they take football seriously down there. Oh, I'm telling you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not Friday night lights like Texas, but it's, it's sort of one degree below that. And, you know, the, the power of high school football in, in Oklahoma, especially in a small town, is, is, uh, is palpable. And so when you grow up in that kind of environment, you know, you're, you're sort of motivated to achieve. And everybody knows you. Everybody knows your family in town. And um, I think for me that was, a, that was part of my own story was this, this I think, a, a natural inclination towards ambition and towards uh, – success and towards being the best and excellence and all those things. And went to school at OU, University of Oklahoma, so I'm a boomer sooner. We've got a big game tomorrow. I don't know when this podcast will air, but we're recording on the 30th of December, and the Sooners are in the Final Four in the college football playoffs. Yeah, you guys so are having a good year. We are. And, uh, you know, as, a, as an alma mater, as a former student there, I can, I can truly say that I haven't jumped on the bandwagon. I mean, I've been, I've been a Sooner fan for all my life. Um, but I, you know, I went to school at OU and, and got a history degree, which was 
was more of just the, the, <laughs> the, the, that I liked history and got out of school and thought I was going to go to law school. And I went to a place called Lost Valley Ranch in Colorado. And that was sort of this game-changing five years for me of being in the middle of the mountains in Colorado working on a ranch and having this background of ambition and the big man on campus and all these awards and great grades. And here I am, 23, 24, 25, in a great place, but, but you know, sort of playing cowboy and it's really where I established, I think, a lot of work ethic and that sense of, you know, like be, be faithful to where you are. And um, even spiritually for me, you know, so much of, of who I am as a man of God was really grounded in my time at Lost Valley. And there was a, a, a mentor, Bob Foster, who had founded Lost Valley that I was mentored by while I was there. And we would eat breakfast every morning, John, or every Friday morning together. And he would just he would just speak into my life and we would do scripture memory together. And he really shaped who I am in so many ways as a pastor and a friend. And every, it seemed like every Friday he would say to me, Brad, your twenties establish your seventies, your twenties establish your seventies. And I, here I was 23, 24, 25, and he was in his mid seventies. So here's a man of God who's run the race sitting down with a young knucklehead who's 23 saying, the way you start will determine how you finish. You know, the, the, the starting gate will, will help you to get across the finish line. The man of God you want to be when you become 75 is all based on the man of God you are becoming when you're 25. And, and that was groundbreaking and, and, and really established for me that sense of, you know, now matters. Um, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm scooping manure as a as a cowboy on a ranch or I'm, you know, running an organization that I need to be faithful to where God's placed me. And so out of that season, I spent, uh, you know, several years there and then got connected to an organization called Enjoy, which John Maxwell, as you, as you know, had started and in San Diego and then moved it to Atlanta, Georgia. And through some mutual friends, I got connected to, to that organization and started working with John and with his team and, about the year 2000, we launched something called Catalyst. And so for the last 13 years, I was involved in, in helping steward this movement of young leaders that became Catalyst. And that's just been an incredible, gosh, I mean, just blew my mind in terms of the reach and the impact and the amount of leaders we got to gather over the years. And Catalyst is still going strong. I stepped out about a year and a half ago because I one, I wanted to get out of the way. And so many leaders have a hard time leaving something they start and allowing other leaders to step up and actually take it and make it better. But I wanted to, to be able to have this sense of legacy that said, man, I, I ran it and I helped, I was part of it from the beginning, but now I can step out of the way and let somebody else run with it and I can cheer it on from the sideline. And so that's where I find myself today is now I do a lot of coaching and consulting and speaking and writing and uh, get to be involved in lots of different things with the kingdom and the church, but also in the business world and across the leadership landscape. So, Now, I read the book, The Catalyst Leader. Uh, uh, Peb uh, Jackson gave me a copy of that book and said, you have to read this. And it was outstanding. I would really encourage people. We can talk about little bit what's in that book or also in your your new book coming out brad but i want to circle back you said uh 
because uh, I'm interested, you know, this career you had through, you know, high school, college, but then you come out to this ranch kind of, you know, in the middle of, really, I, I know where that is, the middle of nowhere in Colorado. You said it was a game changer. And what was it about, what was it a, about that experience that was uh, really that, that created that change? Well, that's a great question. I, I think for me, especially in my early 20s, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life. And so many of us, you know, in our 20s and even 30s, we're, we're still searching for that sense of calling, that purpose, that life mission. And, you know, the thing I learned, I learned a lot of lessons, but one of the biggest ones was was a work ethic. And that sense that, that you know, the, the way you steward every day is part of your legacy. And as a believer, if you follow Jesus, if you're, if you're a man or woman of God, like this is even more important in terms of the faithfulness to where you've been placed. And so many of us, we spend so much of our energy sort of searching for what's next and we miss what's now. And for me, that was, I was watching all my friends go to med school and law school and move to Dallas, Texas from Norman, Oklahoma and, you know, get what seemed like a high paying job. And they were, they were buying cars they couldn't afford and moving into houses they shouldn't own. And, and that's great. Like, you know, that was sort of the rocket ride that everybody was thought was the, was the, the arc to their journey. And here I am again, I'm wearing Wrangler jeans, wearing a tacky Western shirt and a cowboy hat and feeling like that I'm losing ground on this arc of, of ambition and success. But it was so important for me to be grounded in, in that sense of work ethic um, understanding that that what I do and the way I do it really does matter. Um, understanding that that my spiritual life, the person I become, the who I'm becoming, John, in my especially early in life, is so much more important than the what I'm doing. And we put so much pressure on young leaders. Uh, every everybody does this. We p- put pressure on young leaders to figure out their what way before they start thinking about their who. And many of us, you know, we get to that halftime point and we start thinking about the who at that point. And, and that's, not the, that's not the place we should be thinking about our who. Our who should be really grounded and nurtured and developed way early in life in that first quarter. So, you know, it was, it was really a, um, a foundational experience for me to be able to, to then be planted and rooted. You know, like I feel like that my time at Lost Valley was these – these anchors of my life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, um, vocationally, that were being dug really, really deep. And, you know, now it, it gave me a foundation to be able to do what I'm doing now. And, you know, deep roots always will allow for, for far-reaching fruit. Um, without those deep roots, you know, you, you may have some fruit, that, but it's not probably going to last very long. Yeah, well, I'd love to circle back on work ethic because I am – yeah, I'm sure if I knew you in high school, especially with your dad being the coach in football in Oklahoma and in the grades that you did, your your work ethic, probably as the world would look at work ethic, was probably outstanding. And it sounds to me like there was a shift in how you viewed what a work ethic really is or should be during your time at the ranch. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I, I think um, my work ethic had been shaped – by growing up, like, you know, as you said, with a father who's a coach, my dad was, you know, raised on a, 
on a ranch or on a farm growing up. So we, you know, work ethic was, was really built into the fabric of, of my family and, and my legacy as a son of my dad and as a grandson of his dad. And, um, but when you, when you, when you get on, when you get to a place, the first place you, you sort of find yourself, at least for me, this was true. The first place I found myself post-college in a, in a job Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we worked our guts out. Like we worked really hard. And part of the reason we did at Lost Valley was that we wanted to build bridges with our guests and we wanted them to, to ask why. And there was a purpose behind our, our hard work. You know, it wasn't just we were hustling and, and working hard and, and making sure things were clean and providing the, guests, the best possible guest ranch experience. Um, because we wanted to f- get more guests or we wanted to increase our bottom line or whatever. It was because we wanted to build a bridge to those guests that would allow us to give a why, an answer on the why for why we, you know, for what we were doing. And so many times, I mean, these were folks who, you know, they stay at the Ritz and they go to Club Med and, and, and they're, these are high dollar sort of guests that are coming to experience a, a really, a, a, an incredible guest ranch experience. And they would always say to us, I mean, every week, they would say, Why, what is it about you all? There's something different. I, I can't figure it out. I can't put my finger on it. But there's something unique about, about the way you all work and the way you treat us and the way you take care of our kids. And, and so we were always, we had this, this perspective that we wanted to, we wanted to build a bridge. And, and so much of that, even that ministry mindset and the work ethic mindset was built out of a relationship that Bob Foster had with Jim Rayburn, who had started Young Life. And Young Life is built on this premise of love kids until they ask why. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we sort of had this same approach at Lost Valley, which was serve people until they ask why. Well, it sounds yeah. like that's the difference. So the kind of the worldly view of work ethic is work hard to serve kind of the goals that I have in my life to serve me. Yes. To get ahead, to get a promotion, to buy that car, to win the girl. Uh, what you're talking about is taking that same work ethic, though, and just shifting the focus. So you're using that work ethic to actually sow into and serve into the lives of others. Yes, exactly. And I mean, to, to allow others to have significance, um, to, to, mm. to push your success onto other people. I mean, I, th- I think that's truly the definition of, of what is ultimate success look like, which ultimate success looks like that you have significance with people around you. And the and that definition is is the the very essence of true significance is that you're making others better, that that you're not the center of attention, that it's not about you gaining. I mean, you may end up gaining by that, but uh, you know, worldly success is all about me. It's all about me getting mine. It's all about me building my own my own kingdom. It's all about me sort of, you know, uh, taking all the rewards and all the credit. And you know, I, I think again, you know, this place. The, the, the hard tension points for so many of us who walk into environments of vocation as believers where we're either for-profit or non-profit organizations, we're trying to create something that's done well and, and that is a great product or service, is that we always have this, this for what phrase that we're answering. Like the for what or then what is always the, the other part of the equation that that we want to try to answer. 
because there's a there's so much of a bigger story going on, and that's the that's the purpose piece that so many people are looking for. And we always just tried to we always tried to to wrap it in the in in the context of an, an incredible ranch experience at Lost Valley. And th- for me, that's continued on in everything I've done for the last fifteen years since leaving there. Well, I mean, you you left there and you rose to be the you know the president of Catalyst, which is just a phenomenal organization. What are you know what are some of the leadership lessons or I guess you know who you became, who you were being that that allowed you to go from you know being a ranch hand you right. know, to running this huge organization. Well, then that that wasn't overnight, that's for sure. You know, sure. there were, but but there were um, I think for me, you know, so much of it was that I was a learner. Mm-hmm. That that was a huge lesson um, that I was I was soaking up constantly. Like part of my posture was that anybody I was around, I was I was willing to. Um, learn from them. And also I was curious. I was a constant curious cat and people would always, you know, one of the things that Lost Valley taught me was how to answer, how to ask really good questions. When you take people out on, I mean, you've been on horseback, you have an incredible story of, you know, your journey. But when you take people out on horseback for two hours, you, you have to learn how to have a conversation with somebody. And so I learned how to ask really good questions. I learned that the, the p- most powerful place you can be with people is when you're asking them questions, not when you're giving answers. I agree. And, and, and you said that word curiosity. I think if you're really, you know, um, uh, authentically curious about that other person and how they think without having a mindset of, of judgment, which comes in a lot when people are, you know, making relationships. But if you can just really be in that kind of learning and curiosity mode, the questions that you can ask and the and the dialogue that can come out of that and the relationships can be can really be deep and meaningful very quickly. Yeah, and and you know the, this is so true for anyone who is in the customer service business, which is all of us. Anyone, any of us who have a product or service, we're selling or we're we're um, we're providing for someone you know, the best thing for you to do with your customers is make them the hero of the story. And so many times we think that we have to be the hero, meaning that we have to be the know-it-all, we have to be the wisest, we have to be the, the most intellectual, the most professional, you know, the list goes on and on. But the power of story, the power of storytelling, and the power of creating a story with your customer is that you actually make them the hero. And anytime you make someone else the hero of a conversation or of a story, that's what they remember. The, the, the memory moments are created by, by someone else becoming the hero in, in the equation. And, you know, so we, we, we had that posture and I learned that and, and I, it's, it's continued to this very day. Like anything I'm doing, I want to make the person that I'm serving the hero of the story. Um, and then one last one, John, just in terms of, of lessons. Yeah was that, you know, I knew there was, I felt, I felt like there was something on my life in regards to leadership. Um, I had a, you know, I, I had a purpose statement early on in college that I felt like God gave me, and it's still true to this day, which is to influence influencers. That was kind of my calling statement. Mm-hmm. Was a kingmaker. To, yeah. And now the problem was, or the, the challenge was, is again, I'm, I'm 25 and I'm working on a ranch. How does that connect with and, and line up with this powerful calling statement of to influence the influencers? Well, I didn't know it at the time, but you know, all of that was preparation for me 
to then step into what then became a, a, an opportunity to work with John Maxwell and, and to start Catalyst. So the, I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't have necessarily the schooling. I didn't have a lot of the things that would have, that would have felt like you were going from A to B to C to D to E to F to G. I kind of jumped from B to, to L. Um, but, <laughs> but that was okay because there was so much of my story that was being crafted in the shadows like in the, in the dark room while in my 20s. And so my encouragement to people is, because so many of us as leaders, we feel this incredible sense of purpose in our life and this sense of calling, and we have this dream, and it hasn't come true yet. But I think what God is saying to so many of us is, is you know what, like what you're doing now is preparing you for potentially what you feel like you've been destined to. And you may ne- you may never get there. You, it doesn't mean it's it's you, there's a there's a you know there's a, a, a rainbow ending to every story. But be faithful. Again, I'm just I keep saying this, and I think it's so true. Just wherever you find yourself, be be great in the moment. Be faithful to where you are. You know, bloom where you're planted, because that that is that is what allows you to be prepared for whatever might be next in your story. Well, you know, I think that's an interesting. You know, there's so many people out there, we get so much feedback from the audience of people that are really, you know, you, you said something earlier that I, I, I really agreed with, uh, resonated, just, you know, the how you finish is really going to be determined by how you start. Yeah. And, in, you know, how I started was more my work ethic was applied toward me and what I was trying to accomplish. And and I'll, I'll never forget, I was in the, after my accident, I was in the hospital room and I was in my bed and... And uh, the surgeon came in, and they had to do a brain surgery. And he asked if I had a will. And um, my, we actually had just redone our will. We were supposed to sign it the next week. And I was up in Montana. And uh, he said, well, uh, can you have the will FedExed up here so he can sign it before we go into surgery? Mm-hmm. And I was laying there in my bed, and he was explaining to my wife you know, that the outcome of the surgery was uh, doubtful. And if I did survive, there was a high likelihood I wouldn't be the person she remembered. Uh, but I was laying there thinking, uh, Brad, that it could be my funeral next weekend. And, you know, what are they going to be saying about me? I was 45 at the time. And I got to tell you, I was, I was profoundly uh, unhappy with, I think, what that, you know, how I, if that had been my finish, what my finish would have been. And what I realized was, you know what, I've been, you know, through this, through the healing that I had, and God told me it was going to heal me, but I've just been given this incredible opportunity for a second chance. And I was sharing that with a good friend of mine, and he says, you know what, I would argue that every single day we have an opportunity for our own second chance, no matter what the circumstances of our life are. And I would say, you know, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, even your 40s, 50s, or 60s, it's a chance right now to actually start making some decisions and dial in and restart so that that finish is one that you can look back on and go, you know what, um, I, I live life well. So, and I, I share that because I'd love for you to talk a little bit because I know you coach people on this um, and it's been part of your events, but you talked about the who. So when you're working with people and they're really trying to understand who they are, what their u- unique value is, how God created them, 
you know, what are some places that you start with maybe people out there that are listening right now that really want to connect with that? Maybe their calling isn't clear right now, but I really think that this is the first step. Yeah, no, that's great. And I totally agree with what you're saying. Resonate with wherever you are. Start looking at the finish line now. And it may be that your 30s establish your 70s or your 40s or your 50s. Um, the same is true with your 20s establishing your 70s. You know, so um, a couple things on the who. One is is uh, self-awareness as a leader is crucial. And a lot of us suffer from reality deprivation. If we're really honest with ourselves, uh, we, we suffer from this syndrome that, that is a disconnected sense of reality. And now, what do you higher, mean by that? Well, meaning that the higher you go up the, the ladder of power, of influence, of authority, of control, of title, uh, the, the further you go up that ladder the less connected you are to reality. And this is not, it's not something that you necessarily choose to do. And, and here's some examples of that. One is when, you know, you ask any CEO or any person who runs a large organization, um, no one wants to tell you the truth because they're getting paid by you. And so all of a sudden, pe- the people who start to surround you they, they feel an inclination to tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. And we love this as people. Like, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily naturally gravitate towards the, the truth. We don't necessarily gravitate towards the hard conversations. We, we gravitate towards the things that are easy, the things that encourage us, the things that make us feel better about ourselves. And so over time, what happens is as many of us, as we lead organizations and we lead people, we just we slowly get get further and further away from reality, and so part of our role as leaders is constantly, constantly to push into the places that are messy, both with ourselves as well as with our teams. And so when I think of myself as a leader, like part of you know one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the last several years is is about me and the way I lead, and I you know I I kind of had a crisis leadership crisis moment a couple of years ago, John, where I looked around and here I am leading an organization that's gathering leaders. And, you know, I'd started and built this movement called Catalyst and we're gathering thousands of leaders and in, in conference settings and I'm writing books. And, and I realized that the people closest to me on my team were getting the worst of me. I, I realized that, that my leadership was actually really stale. It, it wasn't effective. Now to the outside world, um, to speakers and to partners and sponsors and those sort of in the places of, of high influence, you know, they looked at me and thought, oh, L- Lominick, man, he's a great leader. But my team was sitting around going, I'm not sure about that. What's an example of that, Brad? Well, you know, I had a, I had a, a mo- uh, I had a moment, we, we went on a, um, a little team outing. Yeah. And we went to Dave and Buster's, which is this place where you play skee-ball and video games and shoot basketballs. And, and it was supposed to be this fun outing and we're all there together and we got a bunch of tickets and we, you know, you, you go to the, you go to the store at the, at the game at the shop. And, and so we had enough tickets to be able to buy something and the team is kind of over there. I'm on the phone or I, you know, I felt like I had something important to do and the team buys two different dolls and they're all laughing and giggling, and I'm like, okay, what's funny? And they said, well, this is you. This is you. And I'm, I, okay, tell me more. I don't, I don't get it. 
And they said, well, one doll, and so we have two dolls that they have purchased with these tickets. One doll was, was an angel. And they said, that's, Brad we, that's the Brad we love. Like that's the Brad that, that encourages us and, and leads us and is visionary and it, you know, is willing to get in the trenches and, and is self-aware and you know, all the positives. And then there was this other doll that was Satan. And they said, that's Darb. I'm like, what's Darb? They said, that's Brad, that's Brad spelled backwards. Like, oh, wow. That was a sobering moment, wasn't it? Yeah. And I said, okay. Um, and what is, what is Darb? They said, well, that's the Brad we hate working for. And Darb is showing up more often than he should right now. And, and it, it, it was this, it was truly a punch in the stomach. Um, in a good way though, like that I had to look at this situation and go, what am I going to do about it? And so from then on, like those dolls kind of sit outside my office and the goal was for, for, you know, the angel, (laughs) the angel doll to sort of be displayed at all times and never let Darb sort of raise his head. But that was incredibly important for me to, to have a, a self-awareness revolution in many ways of, Hey Brad, like there's a part of you that if, if left unchecked, you're not really that good of a leader. Like you're not that fun to be around. You're, you're not encouraging. You, you leave people in the ditch. You know, you, you run over people. Um, you, you're tra- you become transactional. You start thinking about the mountaintop we're trying to climb while realizing that th- there's a lot of people hanging from cliffs on the side of the mountain that you're not helping get to the top with you. And, you know, every leader I know, the, the, the best ones, the best leaders I know are the ones who are so self-aware of their weaknesses, of their strengths, of their blind spots. And the way they get to that point is that they put systems in place that constantly allow themselves to see those, those self-awareness areas that might be, you know, uh, that, that might be hid from them. And they have people around them that will constantly push into them and say, hey, listen, like we need to have a little moment here. I need to help you understand that, that you've gotten a little bit too big for your britches, you know, the last couple of months. And this is just really important. And, and again, the higher you go up the ladder of influence, whether you're in a church, whether you're in a, whether you're in a, in a business, whether you're in a nonprofit, doesn't matter. This, this constantly is one of the greatest temptations of leadership. Well, and also you're talking about a dynamic that I see all the time in companies. And I have to give you some kudos for this because, uh, you know, one question leaders need to ask themselves right now is, do they have the kind of culture and relationships with their team where their team would be comfortable handing them a Darb doll? Exactly. There's a lot of companies out there. I'm working with one right now. It's a large public company. Nobody would give anybody any honest or negative, constructive feedback. And it was a cancer. It was killing this place because everybody was afraid of retribution. And there's a lot of companies like that, even small companies. And that's a place where you got to start because if you don't have the culture where there's a level of trust and honesty, um, you know, where you're honoring each other as people, uh, you know, until that is in place, you're not going to, you know, how do you know, you, you talk about almost being self-deceived by your position and the people that are around you. How do you break that cycle? And, you know, that is a place that you have to start. And then you have to find, get that feedback, both from, you know, the people that you're working with, um, you know, mentors, people outside the business, uh, a coach, 
Uh, but you were talking about, and I agree, that one of the most crucial places to start here is that self-awareness. Because as you really understand you know, who you're being and how you're showing up in different situations. I yeah, and it doesn't, it, and, it, and the thing is, John, like it doesn't, it doesn't make you a bad leader when you discover the things you're not great at or you discover your, your blind spots. It just makes you a self-aware leader. Like, yeah, and that authenticity is it's going to build a, rela- a level of relationship and trust with your team that is just going to supercharge everything you're trying to do. And people people lose sight of that. Exactly. And and actually, authenticity today more than ever is in vogue. Like because we live in a world that is starving for truth and starving for something that feels like it's real. You know, the the more real you are, and the more self aware and authentic you are actually the more currency you have as a leader. Like you're, the old days, that was not necessarily true because people would tr- sort of try to hide things they weren't great at or they, they would push things behind the curtain. Or, and, and, you know, I've heard Pat Lencioni say this so many times. You know, the never let them see you sweat used to be the, the – that used to be the phrase yeah. as, a, as a leader. Now it's, now it's, oh, wait, check out these pit stains I got, man. Look at that. That's amazing, right? And that's the kind of leaders that, that we want to be led by today are the leaders who, who, are, who are aware of their pit stains. And I think you just can't, you can't be afraid to be fallible, to, you know, to make mistakes. And, you know, and if you handle a situation wrong, you know, going to somebody and just saying, hey, you know what, can you, will you forgive me? And, and will you hold me accountable that I don't do that in the future. If if you had a conversation like that with people you're working with, it, it would for most people that would be a game changer. Just just that interaction right there. Yeah, the the five greatest phrases: "I'm sorry," "Thank you," "Well done," "Good job," "Will you forgive me?" I mean, yeah. if you if you put those in your vocabulary as a leader, you immediately raise your stock. You know what I found too, uh, Brad? It is the same thing with, I have three boys. They're 18, 16, and 12. Um, and it is a great place to practice leadership principles is mm. parenting teenagers. And But having those same conversation with your kids for me has you know, deepened our relationship and just how tight our family is and just... Um, we just love spending time together. But that I'll tell you right now, that's not the way it was before the accident. Before, you know, four years ago when I had my accident, I was, you know, a former military. I, I was a, a fairly authoritarian leader, although you know, I, I think people enjoyed working for me because I always made it fun. But, man, there is, you know, looking back, there was so much room for improvement. And it's a lot of the things that we're talking about right here that people can go into work when they hear this and start putting this into practice right away. Yeah, and, and that's a great point because I, I think the, you know, the the – I'm the same way, John, like the, the, the side of my own leadership that would have heard this before, I would have said, well, wait a second, like how is self-awareness actually helping you grow a bottom line or how is it helping you get to the finish line and actually make things happen? And, and I've realized more and more now in my leadership journey that again, if I'm not helping people thrive around me, if the people around me, especially those closest to me are not flourishing, that I'm not a good leader. And, and this is a cumulative scorecard. It, this is, as a leader, you have to be scored based on, on all the different areas. 
you don't you don't just get based based on you don't get a, a scorecard based on well did you you know did you make a lot of money or did you sell a lot of product I mean that's part of it but the the greatest value as a of a leader is are you helping people around you actually flourish and are you helping them thrive and if if that's part of our definition all of a sudden the the self awareness piece and the authenticity piece those vulnerability the vulnerability piece those have to be part of your of your posture as a leader because that's crucial to helping people around you be better well i love that you brought this up so you know as a leader uh brad what does it look like for a leader in a company um, to help those around them, either their peers or their, you know, people that are working for them thrive? Well, I mean, the, the first thing is, is that posture that says, I'm here to serve you. And m- part of my goal is to make you better and to, to push you forward. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the, kind of the first step is just that posture and understanding that that's, that's part of the, of the leadership mandate. Um, I think another one is, is, is that you see your role with people around you in helping them discover their own sense of calling and purpose. And if you'll do that, if you'll, if you'll constantly lean into people around you and help them discover who God has made them to be, and, and many times this, is, this, this might be scary, especially in um, ministry environments, because it might mean that that, that person has to go somewhere else. It, it might mean that they end up starting their own thing. It might mean that they, they move to a, another organization. And, but that's part of our role. It's, it's part of our role to help people find that sweet spot, the, the, the place where their strengths and passions come together, that intersection, right? And so, you know, we want to find that for ourselves where we have to be willing to help other people discover it. And, the, you know, culture, you mentioned it before, is so important. Um, a, a culture of... of I mean, in culture, we could spend an hour talking about culture just on its own, but um, a culture that says, I want to help this person be the best possible ex- version of themselves that they can be. And, you know, again, part of that is, and this one's hard. This is hard for a lot of old school type leaders. For example, are you willing to let people have a flexible schedule? You know, like I, I talked to so many leaders today who that is one of the biggest hangups for them is, oh, these young leaders today, all they want to do is just, they want to work from home and they want to, they want to be mobile and they want to sit at Starbucks. And, and my answer is, yes, you're right. They absolutely, they do. And, well, well, that's because people my age, because you know, I'm 49, Gen Xers and baby boomers, you know, we're, we're used to you know, the environments we've been in, it's managing people based on how many hours they worked. And, and there's a simple solution. What you do is you manage the productivity. If I if you're working for me, Brad, and you're a software engineer, and I have you know a certain amount of things that I need you to accomplish over the course of the week or the month, and you're doing that, but you're doing that from home, and you're doing it from Starbucks, or sometimes you're in the office, but it's done and it's done well, then you know what? Then you're going to be really excited about working there, um, and I'm going to accomplish my business goals, but it is definitely a paradigm shift for a lot of leaders. And with the millennial generation coming into the workforce right now, and I have a huge heart for a transfer of leadership to this generation. There are 25% of the workforce today. They're going to be 75% of the workforce in just 10 years. Right. And it's things like this that you're talking about, that authentic leader, somebody who's taking an interest in them. They will really want to understand, you know, do meaningful work and understand the values, 
not just of the work they're doing at that company, let's say a software engineer, but what is the impact that this company is having in the world? And that requires the leader to have a just a solid grasp on their vision, their purpose, their mission, and in being communicating that. Um, and it has to live in how we, it can't be just a slogan on the wall. It has to be something that lives in how we talk and we communicate and how we work. Um, so th there's going to be some companies out there that make this pivot with, I think, some of these cultural changes that are happening right now. And they're going to absolutely dominate in their space. And the other companies that don't make this pivot uh, as you're talking about, really kind of in this world of servant leadership, and they're they're absolutely going to get just left left in the dust. Yeah, and and so much of that is st stems from that we want to lead the way we were led, and great leaders are willing to lead the way that the people they're leading want to be led. And and this is again that that might feel soft to some people. It might feel like wait a second, you're turning the tables. You know that that's not true. It's command and control, and and Okay, the, yes, that, there's parts of that. But at the end of the day, think about you know, the golden rule. Think about the way, like when you're on a team, uh, you want your leader to lead you, assuming that you're, you know, you're, you're so going to be an employee or a, a member of that team that's going to get the job done and you're going to deliver and you're going to hit home runs. But you want to be led the way you want to be led. And so, much, so many of us, we... we, we if we really, if we're really honest, we would say the reason I'm leading my team this way is because this is the way I was led when I was on the team, and therefore it must be done this way because I'm passing down the mantle of the leadership, and that that's just not that. You, more and more today, truer truer than ever before, we have to be willing to innovate and change because the 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 change rate of technology and disruptions in in all the ways we do work are constantly getting turned over faster and faster and faster. And, you know, we can look at different industries now. And two years ago, three years ago, what might have been seemingly the, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread is now out of business because they weren't willing to innovate and they weren't willing to change. So well, as you said- Jim Collins' book, you know, most of the companies that he wrote that book so long ago, in good to great, they're, they're no longer here. Right. You, right. Know, and, they, and, you know, in their time, they made decisions that made them great companies. They adapted at the time, but new leadership came in and they, they didn't adapt. And now the uh, majority of those companies are no longer even around. Well, and I mean, Blockbuster is such a great yeah. example, yeah. right? I mean, nobody even thinks about Blockbuster anymore. It's not even on the radar. Uh, you know, I mean, but f seven, six, seven years ago, I mean, maybe even uh, less than that. The 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 uh, the video industry, the movie industry has now all shifted and it's being disrupted like on a daily basis. Uber is disrupting the taxi industry. You know, Airbnb is disrupting the hotel industry. I mean, we can go through industry by industry and see all these different organizations that are rising up. And we ha we just have to be willing as leaders to to constantly be open to change. Yeah, and I don't think it means, you know, changing who you are. I think a lot of people exactly. kind of get stuck there. I think when I work with leaders in companies that are going through this transition, uh, it's about, you know, really getting that self-awareness, uh, that clarity on, let's say, your leadership principles. You know, really, what are they? What, you know, what is core to who you are, your values, what you do? Uh, but it's simply really a matter of kind of shifting the style that you deliver these um, into the organization, into the the relationships that you have, 
And and so, you know, this is not that hard of a a problem to tackle, but a lot of people get really stuck because they feel like they just have to be a totally different person um, to be a kind of a leader in this, in, in the world that we find ourselves in today. What, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. And, and, you know, so much of it, I think for each of us, as you said, John, like if, if you start out with a posture that says I'm for this next generation, meaning that you're, you see part of your role in legacy handoff, you see part of your role as succession, you see part of your role as I want to lift up the next wave of leaders and of staff and people and generation coming behind me, then that's the place to start. And, yep. and as soon as you have that kind of posture of you're for this next generation, then you'll, you'll be way more open to change. You'll be way more willing to innovate. You'll actually be hungry to have a posture that says a bunch of young young knuckleheads on your staff, you, you start getting them around you and you start asking them questions. Hey, how can I lead you better? You know, what, what are some things that, what are some things that you need to hear from a 25 year old who's on your team that you don't really want to hear? But if you were willing to listen to them, um, could it be a, an easy change that you could implement and make their life that much better to be on your team? And you know, the, this, everybody wants to be down on this generation, but the same conversation happened has happened with every generation before, you know, the generation that came along said, Oh, these young, these young leaders today, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, they're, they didn't have it as hard as I did. Well, everybody's always said that. And it's just, it's getting sped up so much more because of technology that we've seen in the last 20 to 25 years that, that, I mean, truly like speeds up that flywheel to the point now where it's spinning really, really fast. Yeah. Now, what what kind of coaching work do you do now, Brad? You know, it's across the board. I mean, most of my co- coaching and consulting is is really around um, events, um, helping other organizations that are doing events. I mean, I still am part of Catalyst and still have my you know my chairman emeritus, I guess you could call me, the the old guy that gets to hang out still and speak into things. But a lot of it is event coaching, a lot of it is uh, marketing and branding and movement building, you know, s- partly because that's, that was the world I spent so much of my time in at Catalyst. And then uh, a lot of it is leadership development and leadership culture building. And there's a lot of, a lot of organizations uh, that they don't know how to build a leadership culture. And you know this because this is a lot of what you do as well. At the end of the day, um, people have really good intentions, but they were never taught that. And especially in the, in the world we live in now where there's so many entrepreneurs and so many social innovators and social entrepreneurs and, and people who've started their own organizations, they were never brought up in any environment where there was a leadership culture because they just started from scratch. And this is a whole new industry that now exists, which is people who started companies and nonprofits and churches and across the board that they never were groomed or mentored in some kind of system that allowed them to, to take on a lot of that leadership mentality and approach and culture that, you know, in the past, a lot, a lot of that was passed on because you were 20 years, you were sort of in the system and then you waited your turn and all of a sudden you got your chance. And nowadays that's just not true anymore. You don't have to wait but because of that, there's a lot of people who now are running organizations that are looking around going, man, 
I hope nobody figures out that I'm just, I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's that's just true. No, it's true. And, you know, it's such an opportunity right now with, you know, people our age to just really, you know, so into this next generation, you know, 20 years from now, they're, they're going to be completely leading this country. And Brad, I would love to have you come back on for another episode here down the road and just talk about, you know, uh, how as a, as a, as a Christian leader, how to build a culture in your company uh, that just honors the kingdom. And it doesn't matter whether the people working for you, they're Muslims or atheists or, you know, they're not believers. It doesn't matter. But when you build a culture the right way, it can accomplish everything we've been talking about, but also open the doors to these kingdom conversations uh, that can just be a huge part of what we've been called to do. Because I believe all of us that are working, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week in the marketplace, we're called to minister into that marketplace. And I think a culture uh, that we can influence and create can be a huge part of doing that well. Absolutely, man. No, I'd love to. Let's let's have that conversation. Part two. If you'd like to learn more about Brad, his speaking, his blog, his books, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 105. That's eternalleadership.com slash 105. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team at Marketplace Rock enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. We just had one yesterday and it was fantastic. Visit them online at MarketplaceRock.com or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us, episodes 4 and 66. Next time on Eternal Leadership, author, speaker, and marketing guru, Michael Port. Until our desire is greater than our fear, it's hard to put ourselves out there. But if our desire is greater than our fear, then we're willing to put ourselves out there because our desire to achieve the thing that we want to achieve is more important than the approval associated with it. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to eternal leadership.